Welcome back to the Artivist Room, movement building through art and activism. I'm your host, cultural organizer, artist, actor, and writer, BK. And today we'll be talking with Mo Harper-Dizier, an arts activist working in Eureka, California, striving to connect communities of Black folks in her county. As an artist, Mo actively creates using hip-hop, hip-hop theater, dance, and poetry. In April of 2018, Mo and her partner, Diona, co-founded Black Humboldt, as a response to Humboldt County's social climate injustices and lack of safe Black spaces. They wanted to provide a platform for all Black and Brown folks who shared similar needs and interests while existing in Humboldt County. What started as a social media platform expanded into a hub for the creation of events, workshops, and forums for their community. Black Humboldt provides a space where people can see a positive and beautiful reflection of themselves. So let's check in with Mo Desir of Black Humboldt. Hey, Mo, how's it going? I am good. How are you doing? Uh, I am totally well. Actually, it's been a really, really great day, um, partly because I get to talk to you today. So that's awesome. <laughs> oh, I love that. Good. Yeah, the sun is shining here in mm-hmm. California. So good day for me, too. So I'm I'm really excited to talk with you. Um, I think you are one of the like small grouping of people that I've met that said that they wanted to be a teacher when they were younger and actually, you know, went out to do that thing. So um, I kind of am really excited to talk with you about, um, especially now, what experience has been like of um, being um, uh, an educator in, in this current climate. So before we get into that, I just love to, you know, talk with you about why you were inspired, especially from a young age, to want to be an educator. Yeah. Um, I think when I was younger, I wanted to be an art teacher, but I think it stemmed really from wanting to create art more so than being an educator. Um, and kind of a reflection of just how kind of like some self-doubt almost maybe some imposter syndrome from a young age being like well the only capacity I could create art as a job is if I taught it um but I do also remember having some pretty influential teachers in my life at a young age um I had a single parent household so I spent a lot of time in like youth programming um you know, a lot of abuse going on in my household. So going to school and having positive relationships was also super meaningful for me. Um, And I definitely had my issues with behavior in school, but most times, most times, if not the teacher I had and I shared some kind of bond, like um, I can only really recall two teachers in my like whole primary school career that I was like, I did not like that teacher. We did not get along. Um, but other than that, I've, I always felt, you know, uplifted or special or, you know, some kind of connection. And when I started teaching, it started, um, through youth programming 
And so like, that was really meaningful for me. Um, my middle school and high school years were super formative through youth programming specifically. So it was, it's something that I've always, you know, had the honor and the privilege to also provide those spaces like in the same capacity, um, especially for like at-risk youth or marginalized youth. Um, and it was also, I don't think I, until my sixth grade teacher, shout out Mr. Wallace at Fort River, that was the first like black teacher I had. And so, you know, I was always being taught and led by white bodies. And it was that transfer. I transferred to a different school system and it was much more diverse. And I think that also really shined. Um, And then I had a high school dean, shout out Ms. Custard at Amherst High School, who also like just, just showed me a different path of availability. She was always super cool and understood my potential. So she didn't villainize the bad decisions I would make as much as other administrators. And I think that was really important. You know, I could see myself in her, but I also felt supported to a point that I could keep it real with her, like showing up late for school. You know, I could be like, I had a really rough morning versus, you know, just getting yelled at and signed up for detention or something. Um, And I think that really just came from us sharing some identities, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I would yeah. say those, those people paved a way for me to reconstruct what it meant to be an educator from a young age, but then also to see myself in those positions and then also to feel the impact that I could have for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, really I really important. enjoyed learning too. So it was like, mm-hmm. Not only do I enjoy what we're doing in these spaces, but it's like now I have these people that are like uplifting and making it, making me feel the value that I bring to, you know, it wasn't just self myself being like, oh, this is great. There was other people around me being like, you are great. (laughs) That's so important. Oh man. Shout out to them, man. (laughs) So, um, in, in the, in the, line of thinking around reframing what it means to be an educator. Uh, You do yourself a lot of decolonized education, curriculum building and teaching um, in in the community that you live in. Um, Can you talk about what that reframing looks like in the context that you're in right now today? Yeah, absolutely. I would say it, it really started with just diversifying content Um, I had a really amazing English teacher in high school who, well, the high school I went to in general was, I think, very progressive in the things it offered. So I was able to take like women in lit, African-American lit, gay and lesbian lit. Um, So that really opened my eyes to books that included people like me. Right. Um, And I remember reading Their Eyes Were Watching God and really connecting with that character Um, and, and just everything about that book and really being like, whoa, this is a story that includes me. So then when I became an educator, I was, I was like, just really concentrating on that feeling of being seen through academic sources. Um, especially as like a black queer person, it's like, 
there's usually negative stories around surrounding us. Like, I don't want to read about slavery anymore. I don't want to read about, um, you know, the gay kid that gets beat up as a side story to this, this book. Um, and then I also had the privilege to do a lot of learning surrounding black history that wasn't included in curriculum, uh, in, in like a public school curriculum. So those are like kind of the things I focused on. Um, and I also grew up heavily emerged, you know, on the East coast in the hip hop scene and hip hop was very education based and political. And it told the stories that were not being told of, you know, black and Brown suffering. So like my first year teaching, I pulled so much source material from hip hop alone. People have like such thought they had such clear ideas of what hip hop culture was that for me to be like freshly out of college, bringing hip hop sources to like middle schoolers, people were like, whoa, you bugging. But it's like, it was so easy to connect through music. It was so easy to like tell these stories through music um, and really encourage kids to see how they fit into those same stories. Um, so yeah, it started with a lot of just bringing new material to the table. Um, and then and just including identities that aren't included. Like um, one of my first teaching positions uh, they were social justice based. So they would basically put us through a social justice workshop and then be like, okay, now put this in your lesson plan. Um, and I had also gone through these programs as a youth myself. So, you know, talking about pronouns, talking about the LGBTQAI plus community, like before it was a mainstream forefront issue, you know, talking about power and privilege, um, teaching kids about the privilege that goes along with how they intercept and absorb curriculum, um, you know, from a public school standpoint, you know, do you, do you have the power and privilege to pick apart the world civics lesson that, you know, we are learning? Do you have the privilege to you know, pick and choose which part of the history negatively affects you. Um, you know, how can we create conversation space for the kids that don't have those privileges? How do we create curriculum that includes the stories untold, you know, because all throughout high school, I was told that, you know, slaves enjoyed slavery. And it's like, I think we know that's not true. <laughs> so how do we, you know, tell our history providing context to the perspective, all the different perspectives and how different people are affected to it to this day, you know? Um, so really, you know, concentrating on critical skills also around, you know, dissecting the colonized version of information. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was something else. Um, but my first teaching gig was with older kids you know, middle school through high school. So it's, it's a lot easier to have these conversations, um, to, to blatantly talk about how privilege affects, you know, the rest of your life or, um, where you have power and where you do not and like systems of power and how they affect us as students. 
And it wasn't until I moved to California in 2015, 16, that I started working with younger kids and uh, younger kids in predominantly white spaces. Mm. And um, that was a total shift. You know, I had kids asking me like about the texture of my hair or about like why I look the way I look (laughs) and, and, um, you know, just being genuinely curious, you know, but that's when I realized that, you know, there might be more tools to help these kids harness these thoughts, you know? So like diversifying, diversifying story time and, you know, talking about holidays that don't make, you know, the calendar Mm-hmm. for like paid days off. I figured just that I don't, I was like, those things aren't enough. Um, and that's when I started really thinking about games and using our bodies to kind of start learning about these topics. Um, and a lot of it starts with like power and privilege. I keep bringing that up, but mm-hmm. that that's something that I think kids really underestimate, you know, so playing games that kind of pick and choose has who has power when and reflecting on how that makes us feel, um, playing games where it's really hard to finish a task as a a single unit, you know, and kind of setting it up that, you know, round one, you might play as a solo player, but by round three, you have a team and, um, you know, round three goes so much easier than than the first round of course Um, (laughs) so that these kids are like creating these conclusions for themselves where they're like oh it was really dope and easy to play this game with my teammates or um you know when I played the game the first round I got to be in this position and that position was really great because I had power and I got to make the rules and um and it was you know it was easier than Mm -hmm than another situation. So I started really like playing with kids and these social justice themes um, when I moved here and had younger kids um, because, you know, workshopping a group of like kindergartners or even up to like fourth, fifth grade, it, it's just not the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the same setup as like sitting down and having hard conversations with a group of eighth graders. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I would say that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. As important as it is to have these conversations, it's almost as if, you know, especially in the community I'm in at the moment, some schools, you have to tiptoe completely. Other schools, they're like, this is the curriculum. This is what we're doing. You know, equity immersion is what we're working towards. And then some places are like, like some schools did not even want to believe that like COVID was happening or like that there's like, you know, they're mad at the school that the kids can't go to school because they don't believe that there's a virus. Like we have such drastic, drastically different viewpoints in this community that it is hard to to decide what works for a group of kids so um that brings me to a really great segue because um the the programming that you're talking about is this with black humble is like is that part of the work that you all do in the organization or is that something separate 
No. So it's funny because the community also makes this mistake often. So mm-hmm. I am a co-founder of Black Humboldt, but Black Humboldt um, does not do any type of uh, politicking or racial equity. We don't do racial education. Um, we pretty much don't do. I understand that just being black in general is politics, especially in our country, but we only strive to provide resources and services for the black community. And our main goal is to provide safe spaces. Um, so we're really mainly we're event based. So we'll have an event, just a little kickback networking. Um, and it's solely for the black and Brown community to connect with one each with one another have a space to take our masks off, um, you know, key key with your community. Gotcha. And, um, but people often think that we do social justice or racial education um, because both myself and my partner, Diana are arts educators gotcha. with a racial equity lens. So, um, you know, people, especially people of that majority of the community we live in are not served by us. So I feel like it's easy for them to be like, oh, they're a, they're an equity group or they're, mm-hmm. you know, they can do racial workshopping if you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but truthfully, that's not the story. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we're, we basically just re-funnel resources to the Black community. We hold events for the Black community. And then um, the only event that we have that is community-wide and a space, not necessarily a space for learning, but there are learning opportunities available is our annual Juneteenth event um, Mm. where we basically invite the whole community to come and join us and um, learn about the history of Juneteenth, interact with the Black community. Um, We do like Black vendors and then we have workshops. So if a black or brown community member wants to lead a workshop that's about racial equity, it will be available um, and anyone can take it. But that is, that's pretty much our only event that is community wide and could provide those resources for folks that were looking for it. Mm-hmm. So I was reading, um, well, thank you for sharing one. <laughs> um, and I was reading about, you know, the goals of Black Humble and uh, the vision is to focus on the positive stories from the Black community in Humboldt County and invest support and um, uh, build up the Black arts and culture. I'm curious as to when you felt like this was a need for the Black community in, um, in Humboldt County and um, what like what, why was, uh, creating this, uh, platform, the response? Yeah. So, um, Diana, my partner and I, we met at a gym. We're both from the East coast. We're transplants. We met at a gym, um, in a hip hop class that's taught by a black woman. Um, and it was, it was like one of the only spaces that we were finding ourselves being fulfilled in this community. Um, and I definitely very blindsidedly moved here, um, cause I had a roommate from back East that lived here and a room and an opportunity. And I just, you know, needed a new, I needed new. So I just kind of came here. Um, and I was isolated probably for the first six months that I moved here. And then when I finally was like, 
Um, my son was really young, so he wasn't in school yet, but by the time it was like, he needed to start going to school and I was, you know, just ready to immerse myself in this community. I realized that there was no black or Brown community and, um, coming from the inner city, you know, I, I was maybe two hours outside of New York. You know, I was surrounded by the opportunity to be with people that look like me, that listen to the same music had the same interests. So coming here and having none of that, it was really, you know, it kind of like hit me hard. And I was kind of like, what, where, where are we, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I met Deanna and she was like, what do you be doing for fun? And I was like, damn, I was about to ask you what you be doing. And she was like, there's nothing like, there's just nothing. And like, finally Deanna was like, if, I have this idea. Will you help me build it? And I was like, okay, let's hear it. And um, there is, there was one black owned restaurant that was um, they're from Barbados. And so she was like, let's meet at taste of BIM. We gonna just, if you see a black person, invite them. If you know a black person, invite them. And, and we're just going to meet at this restaurant and like break bread. And that was like, our first event where we were just like, yeah, let's just meet somewhere. It's exclusive. So you got to be black or brown to come in and um, we will just get to know each other. And a lot of that first, those first couple of months was like Deanna, like chasing down black people in the streets <laughs> being like, sis, Hey, I know you don't know me, but you should check out this thing I'm doing. I'm creating a space for us. Um, and, and then we had a, a white ally who kept giving us their space as well. Um, she was really dope because she understood that even though we kept being like, you can stay, it's fine. You're being an amazing ally. She was like, here's the keys to my bookstore. Like y'all got that. Like, <laughs> and we we're like, we don't even know you, but this is like amazing that you can put together the importance of us, like having this exclusive space. Um, so that's just like how it started. And it just, it just kind of went from there where, you know, the first year and a half, Deanna and I were just out of our pockets, uh, you know, working, volunteering on the side of our full-time jobs to create these spaces and, you know, bring the community together and try to get some solidarity. Um, this space, the county is really spread out. So it was like meaningful for us to just try to do some kind of unifying for the black community in general, instead of us all being kind of spread out in different ways. And it's like, oh yeah, I know that brother kind of, oh, I know, you know, that family over there. And it's like, well, let's actually just bring it all together. And then, and then we just kind of started adding aspects to it. So we ended up creating like a mixed family game night recognizing that a lot of the black community here is, uh, you know, made up of a black parent and a white parent or, um, a Brown parent and a white parent and lot, like lots of biracial identities here. So like that came up and then D and I are both, um, artists. So we slowly started being like, we need art events and arts-based events and um, 
And then we, so we started just, you know, doing different things and, and then we ended up with a sponsor and, you know, going, just going from there. But it, it really started from like, I feel like, like in my, my car trunk where I was like <laughs> lugging around clipboards being like, let me get your email. Let me get your phone number. Like, let's just keep meeting with each other. And, and the meetings were so medicinal that it was like, mm-hmm. I'm, so, I don't know how we didn't do this sooner. And I don't know where we, I would even be if we hadn't done it. Um, because Deanna and I went from being strangers to now, you know, we have a really tight knit, amazing relationship with one another. And then also just, you know, the black community in general, knowing that there's space and time and people that I, that we can call on and, you know, uh, just, just take, take off the, the burden and the weight of navigating this community. Have you noticed the impact of you all starting this space um, since you started it in 2018? Have things um, shifted? Have other like um, formations started or grown out of um, the momentum that you, you and your partner has, have, have started with um, Black Humboldt? Yeah, I mean, I won't say it's because of us, but I I will say that I think we empowered a lot of people that were already having thoughts about needing their own space. Um, Because when we started, we were like, oh, let's just be a platform. So like, we'll do the exclusive events and then our social media will just be, you know, reposting Black businesses, reposting Black events um, that are going on in the community. And there was like nothing happening. And now if you like look at our calendar or you go to our social media, it's like, there's so many black businesses popping up. There are black led organizations popping up, um, you know, black professionals and educators. And, um, you know, in 2018, we were scraping the barrel looking for folks or trying to encourage folks to be listed. Like we would be like, we started a black business um, directory And we kind of be like, we were like, yo, join our directory. And people would be like, oh, we don't have a business license. And it's like, who cares? Like if someone can call you for a service or something, like we're going to list you. And so I feel like us badgering people, you know, really help them believe in themselves and empower themselves. And it's like, now we were were the only black led organization um, for a while. And now there's at least three to four other groups that have started um, that, you know, provide a similar service for, for either the black or the BIPOC community. Um, But like in their own way, you know, like we're all essential to the community and it's been really nice to see these things pop up and also to like have a cat, like a catalog almost. It's like, we'll be like, oh, we want to do an arts event. And it's like, dope. We know these 15 artists that, you know, are black or brown and we can hit them up. Um, which before we were, we were like scraping. I'd be like, who you know that we could call? Like, do you know someone that does poetry? Like, you know, instead of like always highlighting ourselves as artists and it's become so much easier to highlight other people now that um, they had the the platform or whatever it was, whatever it clicked in their brain, I'm happy it clicked. Um, and I won't say we did it, but I, I you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
And I don't want to, you know, I hear what you're saying. You don't want to take all the the onus for the cre- creativity that blossomed out of it. But sometimes all folks need is a little nudge or to see that something is possible. So, you know, it probably isn't solely on you all or because you all started Black Humboldt. But I think you can take a little credit in there to say, yeah, you know, we sparked the flame that allowed folks to really believe that, like you said, believe in themselves and believe that they were capable of creating their own spaces for themselves. So, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, too. Well, thank you. I think a lot of people, too, in this community had just never experienced an exclusive space so that once they were there and they felt what it did for their soul, for their, you know, inner purpose, they were like, oh, we can do this too. Mm-hmm. I think, especially for our, um, I won't call them elders, but you know, like that middle age range, like folks that are like my mama's age, I feel like they were some of the most influenced by our existence where they were like, what do you mean? You're going to not let white people in this space. Um, and then coming to that space and being like, Oh, tasting that freedom. And like this new idea of like a safe space, Mm-hmm. Um, and like, sometimes I have to like reword or explain what that means to people. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say it a lot at my job when they're like, I work at a, I work at a white ass organization outside of um, my work with black Humboldt and, um, like the education work I do. And, um, I often will say, they'll say like, Oh, we should do a black Humboldt collab. And I'll say, no, this safe is this space isn't safe. And then they're immediately like, well, I'm not causing you harm. And I have to explain to them that, you know, just sometimes the weight of what the white gaze or the dominant culture that happens in a space is what leads it to be like unsafe. You know, like I want to be a hundred percent comfortable in this space to say whatever I want to say without fear of repercussion Mm -hmm. or microaggressions. Um, You know, people will also be like, oh, we're hiring. Will you list our listing in your Black Humboldt newsletter or something and a conversation we have like with our hub a lot of the time is do we know the people from this entity is this space safe because I'm not going to list your job even if it pays $50 an hour if I'm gonna you know have my people going to a space where they're constantly like emotionally or mentally abused through microaggressions or you know a lack of understanding or diversity in the space. Um, so it gets really complex. What, uh, what are your dreams, um, for what Black Humboldt can be in like the next five to 10 years? Yeah. I mean, ideally in my head, cause I know Deanna has like their own vision too. In my head, I would just like to see it be sus- uh, sustainable. Um, we, value and insist on paying black and brown bodies for everything they do with us. Um, And then just to create jobs in our, in our community, you know, that creates black leadership. Um, Deanna and I both work a lot around decolonizing practices in education. So we want to do the same thing in this like nonprofit business model where Um, There is no boss. There is no hierarchy. There is no, um, you know, everyone that works for Black Humble is an equal part in Black Humble. Um, And 
And so, you know, to just really bring those ideas to light is something I think that could be really powerful. And we want to start a leadership board. Um, a lot of the, a lot of our success can be, um, you know, has been achievable because of the black support systems that Deanna and I had while we were fleshing out this idea, while we were looking for folks to support us. Um, so like some of our elders in the community have really stepped up and been support for both of us. Um, when things went tricky at our regular jobs or, you know, asking questions like, is it crazy for us to think we could do X, Y, Z? Um, so just having them included in the vision of Black Humboldt. Um, and really the idea is that if you are a Black community member in Humboldt County, you are a part of Black Humboldt. And so really just making folks feel like they are, like we have an open door policy. If you want to do an event, call us, like we'll give you the resources to do so. Um, you have a project, we'll help you find grant funding or sponsor your grant funding or something, you know? So we're always willing to do things with and for the community. And, and a real vision would be that, um, you know, to get as many people involved doing things with Black Humble as possible, even, excuse me, even if they're just listing, you know, their organization in our directory or, you know, giving us flyers to share on our social media account. Um, but yeah, really, really harness and amplify the community aspect of our organization. Um, a lot of people approach us like, I know you and Deanna, this or that. And it's like, no, it's all of us. Like, just come bring your idea. All I do is e answer the emails. Like, <laughs> but this is all of us. Um, so so yeah, I would say those those three things, just being sustainable, providing jobs, and being as community-based as possible is really what I want to see us grow. That's all we wanted was to just create the community. We already had all the people. We just didn't have the community yet. Right, right. Oh, man. Well, I hope some more folks um, from your community can listen to this and hear that they are accepted at, at Black Humboldt to do any and everything that they their heart's desire, because I think um, more of us need to hear that and be a part of something like that. So yeah, just yeah. shout out to all the great work that y'all are doing. I'm encouraged in the fact that we have folks like you and your partner uh, who run Black Humble and organizations like it that are doing this work to kind of help supersede that, at least from our perspective. So yeah, just shout out to you and that work because it's important. And especially right now, it's so necessary. Or shout out to you all, I'll say that, and to the community of Black Humble, all of those folks who are there that don't know it, that they're part of Black Humble. Yes, love that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And um and yeah, like shout out to the people that like us really like you're holding space for these conversations and then a platform for them to be heard. And um, I know that there are black and brown educators that, you know, had similar situations growing up that I did that wanted to implement change and they're doing so whether it's huge strides or tippy toes, like I think it's, it is very important. And then I also have so much hope for like my son's generation. Um, 
Mm-hmm. in so yes. many different aspects like emotional mm-hmm. intelligence racial intelligence um mm-hmm. you know the creativity we, they're so creative yes. like it, it blows my mind every time I'm in class and I'm just like wow you you really went from there to there and got that that's yeah <laughs> or just like I feel like there's so much deconstruction happening around mm-hmm. societal norms for, like mm-hmm. America or United States societal norms that were so harmful like we were deconstructing gender norms, the patriarch, you know, um, we're, we're diversifying more and more. Like, um, we say that we will no longer be the minority. Mm-hmm. It used to be 2050, but now it's like tomorrow or something. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, Especially after so the it, pandemic, like there's so many babies being born right now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I know. I'm like guilty. Um, so I'm like, I'm so inspired, like to see just what, or even just like the teenager that my son will be like, I see, and like his great age, he's seven right now, but it's like the way they treat each other with kindness, the way they've been taught to like accept differences. And, um, and I mean, it definitely could be, you know, the school he goes to, I know lots of schools are not doing mindfulness and a lot of the things that, you know, smaller white areas are doing, but mm-hmm. I, I do. And, and just like social media too, like you can see so many different identities and people you're not in community with, but that they exist, you know, mm-hmm. you can find an outlet if you're feeling ostracized on the internet. And um, I'm just really encouraged to see like where we'll be, with this next generation. Cause I think it's, it's really going to be something revolutionary mm-hmm. and I'm into it. Yes. Same, same. I, I can't, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be a pleasure <laughs> to be a yeah. part of that world with them. For sure. For sure. I, um, I only have one more question for you. Um, as we close out, uh, you, I, I love to say it like this because it, it just makes me feel good and it's fun. But um, you are in my room. This is the artist room. Technically, right now we're in my living room. But still, if we were together, we'd probably have like a nice glass of something, maybe some whiskey. Um, and you'd be sitting, well, if you drink, if not, you know, whatever you like. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take the glass of whiskey. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Shout out to James. So, um, so we'd be sitting in my room and I'd be having a conversation with you. You're a very um, amazing and interesting person that I think um, I learned a lot about and from in this space. Um, so I'm curious if you had the chance to sit in a room in your favorite, in the favorite room in your house or a favorite room out in the world um, to talk with a hero, maybe somebody that's living or has passed on, who would you want to talk to and what would you want to talk to them about? Can I pick two? Yeah, yeah. You okay. can actually have a dinner party with like a okay. group of five people. I'm gonna pick. <laughs> I'm gonna pick a dinner party because one, okay. I love to break bread, yes. and I love to eat. Same. Um, <laughs> and I feel like growing up, I had these idols in in different ways. So, like Auntie Angela Davis, obviously got to come because she was one of my first like activist like we hear for the cause type of influences when I was younger. Um, Bob Marley, because I also had a very transformative 
moment in my life after um, watching the Bob Marley documentary and about just Mama Earth. And, and like, I know he has his problems. So maybe, you know, we would dish it back and forth because um, West Indian men love them some misogyny. Um, Talk about so, it. Yeah. So maybe we would, you know, <laughs> you know, we'll go back and forth, but I would love to just hear his outlook on like taking it slow and like getting back to the earth and like taking care of your resting self. And then um, there was a musician that I was obsessed with when I was like 13. Her name is Fifi Dobson. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I I don't know if anyone knows her. (laughs) I don't know if we would necessarily have great conversation, but she provided a personality for me as a young black woman that I didn't think was accessible to me, which was like this punk rock mm-hmm. kind of outlook on things. And she would tell her story through these punk rock songs. And I thought she was so cool because I had never seen a black rock star. And um, I like alternative music. I like alternative things. Um, I used to like skateboard when I was younger. And I thought all those things were really closed off to me when I was younger. Um, so just to sit with her in a room and be like, you gave me an identity that I didn't think I was, that I didn't think was open to me, which, um, you know, just meant a lot when I was younger. Um, and then probably, um, Karis one would be my last member because also (laughs) somebody that I was like, this person knows like knows everything and I want to learn everything from this person um in a really in an artistic way um as I just pick three artists (laughs) (laughs) hey that's okay that is totally okay um yeah uh, that was like a source of information for me heavily as a child Mm -hmm. and really relating to hip-hop in general as a source and an outlet for myself. Well, thank you so, so much, Mo. I really appreciate you um, being open to this conversation and just telling me more about uh, the work that you all do. Um, I'm going to let you close out the episode. Uh, Please let my listeners know um, where they could find out about the work that you're doing up in Humboldt County and how they can support you. And yeah, just anything you want to sign off with. Go. All right. Well, thank you for having me. This was great. A nice little afternoon kiki uh, is always needed amongst uh, queens, especially. Um, Yeah. And for the listeners, uh, if you want to find out more about Black Humboldt or support us, we are on socials at Black Humboldt. Humboldt is H-U-M-B-O-L-D-T and www.blackhumboldt.com. If you want to know more about my education and my role as an educator, um, my website is mohdcreates.com. And I'm on socials at mo underscore hd underscore creates 707. And um, yeah, we do trainings, workshops, lots of things are offered virtually. I also... um, sell trainings and curriculum, uh, projects, art projects. Um, I'm really open to a lot of different things. The pandemic has created this amazing virtual realm 
of learning that has um, worked really well for people um, this year. And, or if you just want to connect, I'm always down to chat, share ideas, um, especially with my BIPOC community members looking to harness um, the same work that I do in my community in their own. So yeah, hit me up, follow me. I'm uh, an older millennial, so my uh, social media game is whack, but (laughs) you can still follow me and we can still be friends and um, share funny memes with each other if (laughs) if that's what we are called to. So um, thanks for listening and thanks again for this interview. No problem. Thank you so much. I just want to give another big shout out to Mo and Deanna. Thank you so much for letting us know about Black Humboldt and the work that you are doing. It was such a pleasure. Make sure to check the show notes and stay connected with Black Humboldt. And also make sure you go follow Mo on IG. You can find them at Mo underscore HD underscore creates 707. And as always, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to hear what you thought of the show. Let us know by sending us a tweet, messaging us on IG or Facebook, or simply sending us an email at theartivistroom at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be well and stay safe. Artivist Room is a Donkey Saddle Projects production. I'm your host, Britt, and our show is edited and engineered by St. James Balsam. If you'd like more information about Donkey Saddle Projects, please check us out at www.donkeysaddle.org.